0: Before we uh, turn the page, one last chance. Any leftover comments, questions about Ephesians? We ended kind of in a hurry Wednesday night. So speak now or forever hold your peace. Okay. Welcome to Philippians. Uh, As one preacher put it, the Mental Health Book. I thought, eh, that's pretty good. And I think we'll see why. Uh, today we kind of want to introduce Philippians. Uh, go into a little history. See where, where we read about that in the Bible and Paul's encounters uh, in Philippians. Uh, we will... Uh, take advantage of my version of PowerPoint. (laughs) Uh, I could have tried to draw that, but my artwork makes Tommy's look good. (laughs) If that tells you anything. So, uh, I found this map. Uh, Philippi is located in eastern Macedonia. Macedonia is the northern part of Greece. This is a modern Middle East map. So, you won't find Philippi on there because it doesn't exist anymore. But it would be the northern part of Greece is Macedonia. It would have been up here not too far from this city that's marked there. Uh, It was not on the coast. It was about 10 miles inland, north of the Aegean Sea, which is this thing right here that forms kind of the eastern border of Greece. So 10 miles north uh, of that, uh, you know, about... 10 miles from Neapolis which was the port city Uh, and it's called Kavala today and it's not on that map either but uh, it had kind of (coughs) mountains on either side two rivers one that ran kind of the west side of the city one on the east side of the city and then there's a smaller river Uh, about a mile outside the city and uh, we'll get into that a little later because uh, that one is probably the one mentioned in the New Testament Uh, it's called the uh, Gangites River and I may not be pronouncing that correct Uh, Philippi (coughs) was first settled and it wasn't called Philippi uh, it was called Crenides. Uh and it was first founded when gold was discovered in that area and you know there's a lot of towns that spring up from gold rushes you know the history of this country well, uh, uh, there's several towns Uh, but they found a city on the site of Philippi and the name uh, in Greek means Child of Springs but then in 358 BC Philip II of Macedon captured this city, he recognized the strategic importance of it, now Some of you may have heard of Philip II of Macedon. Some of you may not have. But I bet we all know or have heard of his son, Alexander the Great. So this would be Alexander the Great's father. And after he captured that city, he changed the name. Named it after himself, Philippi. Uh... He built it up, fortified it, you know, he was in it for military purposes. Uh, And it stayed in Greek and Macedonian hands until uh, 168 BC, so roughly two centuries, uh, when it was conquered by Rome uh, and became part of the Roman Empire. Uh, then in 42 BC, so a little over a hundred years after that, uh, during the Second Civil War in the Roman Empire, uh, it was the site of a pretty decisive battle that brought Antony and Octavia to power against the forces of Brutus and uh, Cassius and I think most of us have heard of Brutus uh, et tu Brute the uh, Julius Caesar saying to him Uh, and in honor of that victory Philippi, that city was given the title of a colony And you might think, okay, so what? Just kind of what I thought, until I did some research. The original purpose of a Roman colony was military, and they placed citizens there. But a colony had, a Roman colony had certain characteristics and privileges. Uh, They were... Intended to become a miniature Rome. You know, the city of Rome. And so, laid out in a similar pattern to Rome. Used similar architecture, style. Used the same kind of government as Rome. Roman law was used there. Uh, the constitution of a Roman colony was modeled after the constitution of Rome and the coins used there had Roman inscriptions and probably the most important the citizens of that city were given the same privileges as Roman citizens whether they were or not and they had those privileges not just in that city but throughout the empire so it was a big deal to be a resident of a Roman colony it would really there would be benefits to the, the citizens and I, I didn't realize that but the scriptures do talk about you know Roman colonies uh, and so uh So that's the significance of it. Okay, enough of that history. Turn to Acts chapter 16. We find in Acts chapter 16, uh, you know, Paul's encounters, kind of his first visit to Philippi. So I want to read uh, verses 6 through 12. Uh, And this is on Paul's second missionary journey, by the way. It says, And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And, we, and when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we were a straight course to Samothrace, and on the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia a Roman colony and we were staying in this city for some days so if we look on the map they pass through in verse 6 the Phrygian and Galatian region which would have been here in modern day Turkey wanted to go to Bithynia which I believe would be this region up here Uh, but the Holy Spirit said nope, don't do that so they ended up down at Troas which would be down here uh, not far from Ephesus uh, on the coast And then Paul has the vision, the man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. He's like, okay, I guess this is where the Lord wants us to be. And so they get on a boat and they sail up to here. And so that's how they got to Philippi. This would have been... Uh, in the early 50s AD uh, 52 is uh, the date that, uh, that I read uh, one of the things about Philippi there was something called the Ignatian Way which I'd heard of that but it was a road that the Romans built across Macedonia it was the purpose was to try to link Rome with the eastern parts of the empire so there was this road that went through Macedonia and from there you could get on a boat this would be the Adriatic Sea this is the southern tip of Italy the heel of the boot. Uh, and that's where this map runs out. Uh, but it would be pretty easy to get a boat, cross the Adriatic Sea, go on to, uh, to Italy, and then on to Rome. So they built this road, which by the standards of the day was a very nice road. Uh, made travel easy. Well, the Ignatian Way, this road, went right through Philippa which made Philippi a really important city an easy city to get to and a very important city to spread the gospel to because there would have been many people would pass through Philippi on this Ignatian way and uh, what I read it bisected the city uh, right in the middle and uh, archaeological excavations have found this road in the ruins of uh, So I think we can see some benefits to evangelizing there which uh, certainly helps to explain why uh, Paul was directed there Now notice verses 13 through 15. uh, Here in Acts 16. It says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, it said they went outside the gate to the riverside. That's that smaller river about a mile outside the city. One of the things that characterized Rome, especially at that time, they were generally tolerant of various religions, but they didn't want them practicing that religion inside their cities. Uh, so these foreign cults as they called them would have to meet outside the city and so he went to a place outside the gate verse 13 says to a riverside where there was supposed to be a place of prayer so there were these women that regularly gathered and it makes sense that that would be outside the city and some of the archaeological digs that have happened, uh, you know, hundred years or so ago, have found right near that river, they've excavated the partial remains of a colonial arch. The arches generally were what we would call the city limits. They would mark when you go through that arch toward the city you were entering the city so they went outside the gate or the arch so that they were now outside the city so it was fair game to worship there so, uh, so that was kind of interesting as well that we've been able to find the remains of an arch right there where uh, you know This is probably where that was. Uh, So some verification of the New Testament account. Uh, Then, let's look back in chapter 16 of Acts, and verses 16 through 18. It says, And it happened as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed, and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. I always found this to be a kind of interesting passage. And I've wondered and so I'll ask you this question. Why would Paul do what he just did there? Why would he cast out this spirit of divination in this slave girl i don't think he liked that kind of advertising okay what kind of advertising well here's a, a girl has a demon demon possessed okay telling people's fortunes and so forth okay <laughs> Chris
1: I think it tells us why Okay. he was greatly annoyed
0: yeah <laughs> it does tell us that
1: and, and I, I often hear that we always say well he didn't want to be you know declared by a demon you know to be acting for God but I have a problem with that because after many days so why not the first time why not the very first time when this woman said hey this is the man of God well I don't want a demon declaring that so he cast out the demon. It was after many days he let her go on for day after day after day, and then he cast out the demon. And
0: right. he says he was
1: annoyed. I don't know any other reason, I can't attribute <laughs> anything else to that.
0: Okay. Would that be annoying? <laughs> uh, probably. <Apparently. laughs> I'll uh I'll give you that. Uh, I think it's possible that as this continued, it was starting to hinder what he wanted to do. I think that's possible. Uh, And and like Boyd said, he didn't want that advertising. Uh, Now, is what she said true? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so it wasn't that she was speaking something false. Uh, But, like Chris says, it, could be just as simple as he got sick and tired of that Uh, and I don't think it was something that was aiding him in his work or I don't think he would have allowed his personal annoyance to stop that aid Uh, I think that's a reasonable conclusion
1: Don't you think that we'd feel the same way if we saw somebody crazy that we knew acted this way and we're passing by would we want to listen to her? Would we believe anything she said?
0: Yeah, although I don't know that I would call her crazy or that they even (coughs) looked at her that way because a lot of people came to her to have their fortunes told Uh, so It wasn't like they weren't wanting to listen to her. So I'm not... uh, I'm not sure... I'm not sure we have an accurate picture of how she was viewed. uh, Because I... She was clearly
1: making money for the masters.
0: Yes, she was definitely doing that. Uh, Brad?
1: Um, So do some translations use the word demon? NIV only uses spirit... Um, and I'm, I don't know enough about uh, the Greek there to know if that <coughs> always means a demon or what exactly is possessing her.
0: Yeah, the New American Standard that I was reading from says a spirit of divination. Okay. Uh, so what you were looking at doesn't add the uh, divination. Um, Just says a spirit. Uh, it's verse
1: 16
0: okay Uh, other renderings of that verse, other translations people have anything different okay so the of divination part would kind of lead me to think it was some sort of demon, something supernatural Uh, and to apparently she was pretty good at it uh, although fortune tellers today might make money and they don't they're not good at it <laughs> so just because there was a profit that's not necessarily a conclusion that she was good at it you know, Lloyd, so was this fortune telling permitted for or approved by the Jews and Christian or Christians at that time or was that something that they stayed away from? <laughs> and would that
1: have a hand in Paul saying, Okay, enough of this.
0: Okay. I have my thoughts. Uh anybody wanna tackle that? Yeah, Mark.
1: This wasn't a city word. Mm. Jews or Christians were prominent at the time um, True. the church hadn't been set up this is a Roman colony there doesn't seem to be very many Jews because there's not a synagogue here so they don't seem to be a part of this
0: yeah I think the answer to your question is no I don't think the Jews or the Christians <coughs> would look all that favorably upon that uh, your question made me think of Acts chapter 19 you know Ephesus uh, and this is one of the things I think we talked about at the beginning of the Ephesians class. Uh, in verses like 17 through 19 of Acts chapter 19, it says, And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in <coughs> Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together, began burning them in the sight of all, and they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Uh, now these were some Jewish exorcists. You know, you know previous verses tell us that. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear what the New Testament says about those practices and why they needed to do that and I always thought it was significant they didn't just get rid of those books because they could have sold them and made a lot of money and could have used the money for good things but if this is a practice that nobody should do then you need to get rid of that I mean I could equate that to a modern day example you know, somebody who's becomes a Christian and they've got quite the collection of uh, alcohol, you know, a wine cellar or something. Oh, well, they can sell that. Well, no. Why? You know, why should I put this temptation in front of somebody else? And so, the thing to do would be get rid of it, as in dispose of it, not sell it. So, that's what came to my mind when you asked that. Any other thoughts on that? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, Paul casts this spirit of divination out of this servant girl, and uh, then we see that causes an uproar. Starting you know, in verse 19. It says, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. So... This got Paul in trouble. Uh, and again, I don't think the these masters were all that concerned about what Paul was saying, but they saw their servant girl no longer has this ability, and we're going to not be able to profit from her anymore. And that was... Their motivation to let's get rid of these guys, Uh, and so they bring them before the chief magistrates, which would have been the top officials in the city uh, in a Roman colony. You know, the magistrates were the top, Uh, and their charges were they're throwing our city into confusion and they're proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans Uh, so the gist of what they're saying is they're threatening our Roman way of life and those in a Roman colony they valued that that was important to them uh and understanding the benefits that they receive from that I get that and so making that charge would tend to stir up the people Uh, this is a threat to our existence as a Roman colony and the benefits that we get from that so uh, so that that all kind of made sense to me. Any uh, thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, sir?
1: Wasn't that a lie, though? Advocating customs and law for, for us Romans to accept or practice?
0: Yes, I think it was. Uh, that doesn't mean they uh, aren't going to use that to their advantage. But yes, I I totally agree. Uh, that was not true. But that was something that they thought they could use to stir up the people. Uh, because if they really told the truth, it's like, well, we made a bunch of money off this gal, and now we're not. It's like, they might throw him a pity party, and that's about it. <laughs> so they were they were wanting to get some revenge. Uh, it's probably the, the best way to look at it. Okay. Uh, then... Verses 22 through 34. Can I get a volunteer to read that? Yeah, Craig.
1: The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once he and all his family then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God
0: okay so they get beaten thrown into prison says into the inner prison that's where they put the people they really don't want to escape Uh, and then what do they do when they're there they start singing why do you think they would sing does this strike anyone as an odd occasion to burst out in song any ideas Paul
1: thought it was wonderful that he was persecuted for Lord's sake.
0: Okay. Paul never seemed to mind the persecution. In fact, he seemed to welcome it. And we're going to see that in the book of Philippians. And so, his very first visit there, he is practicing what he preaches uh he considered it a great privilege to be persecuted for the cause of Christ and he will tell the Philippians that yeah leah
1: I have to think for myself when I'm in really hard times if I sing I'm reminded of God and I'm reminded that he's with me and I, especially you know he could remind others even around him that. He believes in God's deliverance.
0: Mhm. Yes. I I agree. I think that's a good point. Other thoughts? Yeah, Bob. Uh,
1: we'll just think about the Book of Psalms, you know, and what uh-huh. it said. I mean, right. The whole book is, for the most part, is is like that. Uh, right. Uh, the idea of, uh, of struggles in one's life and our are reaching up to God.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Any other thoughts? Yeah, good comments. But we see Paul doing something else here as well. There's this earthquake. I don't think that was any accident. Uh and they're all released and the jailer thinks everybody's gone I'm going to kill myself because that's better than what they're going to do to me which will eventually end up in my death anyway that's uh, what happened when prisoners got escaped the the jailer paid with his life uh, and Paul's like nope don't hurt yourself we're all here and then He does what he came for. He preaches the gospel to this heathen jailer of all people. Would that be someone that we would expect to be a good prospect? Sarah? He
1: was obviously at the end of his uh, rope because he was about to fill himself.
0: Right. And I like the
1: phrase, and the jailer calls for lights. Okay. Some symbolization there. Yes. He was searching.
0: Hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, sure.
1: With the singing and the praying beforehand... You know, they didn't have. Okay, now we're sitting here. Let's pull out our scrolls and start reminding ourselves of the biblical truth. Like they were, there was one way that they were communicating and reminding themselves of what God had done and how they were relying on Him. And so, uh, all of that. I mean, the jailer's question makes me think he was listening to that and learning a lot of their singing and their reminding each other of, you know, what why they were here and what they were doing and
0: he picked up on that which is another answer to the question why be singing Yeah, it did help to lay that groundwork Uh, but I would say normally you wouldn't expect a heathen jailer to be that good a prospect but as has been pointed out he was at a crisis point in his life and This is what Paul did. This was his mission in life. And so, he took advantage of that. Now, the jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I think sometimes we get the impression, uh, what do I need to do to receive, you know, to be eternally saved? Not too sure that's what he was asking. Uh, I think he was more concerned about saving his hide. Uh, But Paul didn't let that stop him. Whether that was what he was intending or not, no way of knowing for sure. But Paul certainly took advantage of that opportunity and preached Jesus to him. And the jailer was obviously ready for that. And... It was effective and he was baptized that same hour of the night. Yeah, Brett?
1: Just notice that uh, that girl's last prophecy came true. (laughs)
0: told him
1: how to be saved.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, I think it's important just to notice here that between verse 31 and 32 there's a change of location. And... uh, Unless the jailer's house was in that prison somewhere, they have changed location. Paul is in the jailer's house, not just talking to him, but to his family as well. Yeah. If you look, verse 30 says, after he brought them out. So I think that would indicate uh, kind of the change of location. 34 says he brings them to his household. Uh huh.
1: But it's interesting, yeah. it seems to imply that they then went back into the jail. Yes. Because when the magistrates yes. call them out and say, okay, you can go free, yes. and Paul kind of makes us think about that, verse 40 says that they went out of the prison. So uh, it, it's probably speculation. But by doing that, it seems to help ensure the safety of the guard. Mm-hmm. He was not... You know none of them left mm-hmm. he wasn't derelict in his duty. they actually stayed put right. um, and that that kept him from getting in trouble
0: yeah now th- that's a really good point uh and i I tend to agree that this helped to ensure the safety of this jailer uh, which Paul would have been very interested in that right. uh for sure so uh so yeah uh. And then uh, let's go ahead and read 35 to 40, and it kind of finishes out Paul's uh, time in Philippi uh, on this journey. It says, And when day, day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates are sent to release you now, uh, or to release you. Now, therefore, come out and go in peace. And Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now, are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So, uh, so yes, they definitely gone back to the prison, uh, and the magistrates. Okay, we'll let you go now. Uh, and Paul's like, no, nope. you uh, did this publicly. You need to, uh, you know, to come publicly and uh, release us yourselves. And notice in verse 37, he says, we're Romans. That would have hit them. Those in Philippi knew how important it was, what the privileges were of being Romans. And they knew, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble if word of this gets back to Rome. And so they basically come groveling and we're sorry but please go uh, and so they do uh, so uh, so interesting to see all of that uh, Paul's first encounter in Philippi any other thoughts on this
1: Why do you think he drops the bomb on them them here instead of earlier?
0: Drops the bomb. Tell them
1: about the Romans now instead of before they do this to them, basically.
0: I don't know. Uh, That's a good question. Uh, Why now instead of before they got beaten? And he did later when he was about to be beaten when he was seized at Ephesus. He does say, uh, "Yeah, I'm a Roman." Uh, yeah, look. it appears to be to magnify the gospel. So he didn't have a problem going to prison and and that sort of thing because he's going on behalf of Jesus. Um, so he you know when he tells them that he's a Roman, it's because now they are. Um, he wants them to publicly again, or publicly admit that what they've
1: done, and that again will glorify Christ. So I think that's why uh, okay. a couple of reasons.
0: Okay, <clears throat> that's good. Yeah, Claudia?
1: Maybe also to be an example to the new Christians there. Mm-hmm. They just converted.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see that. Uh, another hand, yeah, Leanne?
1: Is it possible that, I think he was guided by the Spirit, that he knew he needed to go to jail because he had a purpose there, so he wouldn't have claimed Roman citizenship yet because it would have kept him from what he needed to do.
0: Okay, and thought about that. But I think that's a possibility too. Other thoughts. There's a question that's left unanswered that I wish we knew. Did the little slave girl obey the God? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put that on your list of questions when you get to heaven. <laughs> Yeah, Dave. It just seems like the, chaos, the scene is very chaotic when they get. not So Yeah. Maybe they were... Hey, they were Roman. Yeah. yeah. Pummel with uh, this, so you didn't really get hurt. Yeah. I, that was one of my thoughts. It might have been hard to get that out, get that hurt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark Pepper, I think you had your hand up a little bit ago.
1: Yeah. Uh, it seems... That so this annoyance that Paul had in in verse 18, and him commanding the the demon to come out of the girl, it seems like everything that happened after this. Uh, I just wonder if it was you know work of the Holy Spirit that even caused Paul Paul's annoyance. Yeah, I think it all started in verse 18.
0: Yeah, yeah, quite possible. Yeah, yeah, Dave. The... This is kind of unrelated to the discussion, but you had mentioned that she was, really it was outside of the city
1: praying. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I've never heard that reason that if they wanted cults, pagan, whatever, to mm-hmm. pray outside. But it's interesting that Jesus
0: was crucified outside the city and so many ways of that we're called to be outside of the world and to be, to be different. I feel like there's some, a significant amount of we find the most truth when we're
1: you know what I mean? Kind of off by ourselves. And I feel like that's a significant thought. i not really sure it's fully developed, but mm-hmm. I want
0: to share that with everybody. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good point. Okay, anything else? Yeah, Misha. I just
1: noticed um, how there were other prisoners in there with them because it says they were listening. The other prisoners were listening to them when they were singing and praying and the other prisoners didn't escape either Mm -hmm. apparently so Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people besides the jailer were saved that
0: night yeah not
1: to run off when they had the chance that might be saying something too
0: yeah I think that's a good point and I've I've thought about that before Uh, they do seem to have had an influence (coughs) on the entire prison Uh, and Yeah, I don't think it would be much of a stretch to think that some of the other prisoners uh, ended up obeying the gospel soon after that. Uh, And this is, you know, I think the beginning of the church there in Philippi. Uh, And there's some significance to that. This would be the first recorded account of a church in what we would call the West because before there was <laughs> churches in Asia Minor but that's Asia now we're in Macedonia and Greece that's considered part of the Western world so that's, that's a part of us you know Western Europe you know north south america the western world and so this is the first recorded conversion in the west and the first church established in the west so it, that has some significance to us okay uh, quickly because we're just about out of time uh Paul did visit Philippi again on his third missionary journey, uh, you know, just before he returned to Troas. Uh, So we find that in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20, uh, and then in Acts chapter 20, he went from Uh, It was in Troas where uh, he gathered with the disciples, particularly the Lord's Supper in uh, in verse 7. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem where he's uh, ultimately imprisoned, ends up in Rome, uh, which is the most likely place where he wrote this letter. Because uh, these are, this is one of the books that we typically call the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are the ones. Uh, so, probably written in, uh, while he was in Roman prison. Uh, and if that's the case, then it's probably written in the early 60s. AD, so roughly 10 years after he first came to Philippi. Okay, uh, I do have an outline of Philippians. I'll leave it up here. Grab one on your way out or when you're up here sometime. Uh, I meant to get those passed out earlier, but didn't happen. So uh, we will go into chapter 1 uh, on Wednesday.
1: Thank you. <coughs>